There's Bible verse I think about sometimes. Many times. It goes. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send? Who shall I send? And I will go for us. Welcome back. I know this is quick coming off of the Cain and Abel series. Hope you enjoyed that one. I am getting a lot of feedback on the Satan figure, as I suspected, but it's just really good conversation stemming out of that fun, good dialogue. Some housekeeping at the top of the lineup here in the next coming months and definitely before my next series, I am going to have a website up of sorts. The main point of that is to get access to a shop to buy some t-shirts or hoodies or a hat or a beanie. I've been working on a logo with a buddy of mine, and we are trying to get some swag out there. So if you want to support the pod, this would be a great way to do so. So thanks in advance for any love there and flying the flag of Sunday School is out as you are out and about in the wilderness. I want to get an episode out on this top 10 ways to read scripture. I tweaked this from Dr. Michael Heiser, and with the passing of Dr. Heiser, I thought it would be a great chance to honor his memory, even if it is on my tiny little platform here. Mike recently passed away after getting hit with cancer pretty quickly, a disease I know all too well from recently losing my mother as well. Uh, Dr. Heiser was a biblical scholar, huge influence on me and this podcast, as I've mentioned his name many times, specifically his book called The Unseen Realm. This changed the way I viewed scripture, and there's just been no, no turning back. In the first few pages of the introduction of that book, he says the same thing that happened to him, which is... You know, it's a great byproduct of what happens when you get into scripture and, and learn to meditate on it, as opposed to just checking the box for your, for your daily reading. Um, there's just day-to-day further exploration. And I, I've seen a few podcasts that I, that I follow. There's one called Blurry Creatures, and there's one, uh, you know, obviously Bible Project had them on a number of times. Um, tried to get them on the phone. I never, even before I had a podcast, just to say thank you, I never had them. So this is the small thing I can do here. The funniest part about his story and, and, and the pivot is that he was already pretty well accomplished. He was in grad school working on his PhD in ancient Hebrew and Semitic languages. He'd read through the Bible many times, obviously. He had been to seminary. He'd even been teaching in a Bible college for five years. And then one day he's chatting with a buddy uh, who was also a Bible scholar working on his PhD. They're outside of the church, I believe. And his buddy says to him, have you ever looked at Psalm 82? Like, have you ever looked at it closely in the Hebrew form? Here, here, look at it, Mike. Look at it closely. And so he did. And the first line hit him, just hit him different, man. And it says, quote, God, Elohim, stands in the divine assembly. He administers judgment in the midst of the gods. Elohim also. Now, if you check that, your Bible might say something different, or you have a footnote that might say something different, just like Genesis 6, 1 through 4. You know, there's a few, you know, excerpts from scripture that are tough and that's okay for them to differ. Uh, and then, uh, I think he went to Deuteronomy 10 where he says, Yahweh, your God is God of gods, Lord of Lord, King of Kings. So 
Anyways, he was floored. And he started on this path that never stopped and changed the way he viewed scripture. It furthered into what he called the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, which is a huge rabbit hole. If you want to go to YouTube and type that in or type in Dr. Heiser's name, you will see him in action. Really cool stuff. I have no idea who showed me this book. It might have been Bible Project. who interv- they, they interviewed him. I thought his positions were so unique, so I sought after him and found that book in his podcast called The Naked Bible. I do know he consulted them on their series of videos, uh, Bible Project series called Spiritual Beings, which is great. I was hooked. It was like that scene at the end of Saving Private Ryan where Tom Hanks is kind of looking around and scanning. There's bombs going off and people are screaming and he's just in another space of silence and he just has that that silent ringing in his ears. <laughs> so that, that's what I felt. So with all that being said, let's get into it. This will be a short standalone episode. And the idea is to equip you with a better way to approach scripture. If you are wanting to go further and don't know how or what, what's been stopping you, this little bump might be just what you need to keep going and push past whatever Sunday school barriers you had in your way and you didn't even know it. The point of this list is to get you to see what you are reading in a different light and the building blocks for how to grow. They have been crucial for me. So to honor Dr. Heiser and his passing into the unseen realm himself, I thought I would give it a try. So here we go. In my, in my best David Letterman, here we go. Number one, there is no more important thing than particular focus on the biblical text. Psalm 82 is a great example of this. It, it doesn't mean that you aren't going to take some lumps for your beliefs, but this is just a reminder to start with the text. That is where you need to be rooted and start from. Most of us do the opposite of this. And that would be very close to another rule that I have coming up. But your theology needs to start with the text, not your parents' view or the preacher or the Christian bookstore. This doesn't mean that those views are flawed. It's just that they can be secondhand information that might have been based on a paraphrasing of what they read in an English Bible, so to speak. So, Sometimes those views can leave you wanting, they did for me, or or gave you a Sunday school answer to something that just didn't land the plane, so that's a good rule. Number two, it is best to view the biblical text in their original languages. Now, if you cannot do that, which I can't either, then remember to never trust one English translation in a passage. Use several and learn tactics for comprehending why they might disagree. Man, that's a good one. So, Learning grammatical terms and concepts is helpful, but here's something better that I wanted to harp on. Every English Bible, every translation, whether it's ESV, New King James, NET, NIV, NAS, they have a preface at the beginning. It's rarely read. I don't even know if you knew that, but look at the beginning of your Bible. It it tells you what the translators were trying to accomplish. The committee explains their philosophy, why they interpreted certain lines the way they did. This is so helpful. So when you come to a portion of scripture that leaves you confused, look at how different versions of the Bible say what it is. Look at what they mean and what they definitely don't mean. That is helpful. Number three, learning and seeing patterns in the text is much more important than a deep dive in word study. Man, oh man, I am just starting to see this and it makes the biblical authors seem even more brilliant. 
It might have been the teachings on the Bema podcast and discussions of what a chiasm is. I know Marty ultimately got it from Rabbi David Foreman, but whatever. I see them everywhere now. Or also, like I've mentioned in the pod, the little Eden moments, God's little hot spots, as the story goes. I'm planning on doing a full episode on this, but that is an example of a pattern that I am now seeing. Like, let's say uh, Melchizedek, very confusing character in the Bible, but here's a pattern I am now seeing, and it's making me pause. Abram just rescues Lot, or Lot, he's on his way back, and then a random king of Salem cuts in line to bless him, and he says he is a priest of the Most High God. So now that I've been digging into the original languages and patterns, I get to this part and I go, oh, hold on. I'm getting something. Antennas go up. I have a priest king that represents the most high God, and he wants to heap a blessing on Yahweh's chosen leader of his chosen people in Abram, a.k.a. Abraham. And Melchizedek means my God is righteousness. Oh, yeah. And he's the king of what? Oh, just Salem, which is another word for Jerusalem, Zion, Holy Land. So come on, man. That... That's so fun. I, I just said something very similar to my men's Bible study the other day as I'm, I'm in reading now and I'm, I'm in Judges this year in the reading plan. And I got to one of the judges who's Deborah. Same thing. Story of Deborah. Very similar circumstance. I said to them, guys, hey, do you see that Deborah's a prophetess who is also their military leader who is presiding over Yahweh's chosen people in the land given to them? A cosmic turf war for holy ground. Oh, and her husband's name means torch. And she sits under a tree in between a high place and a word that means house of God in the hill country of a word that means double fruit. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm, I'm more aware of this now. And I'm like, hey, did you guys notice that? And they're like, no, Tyler, we, we, we missed that one, buddy. So stuff like that is so fun and new to me. So that's a good one. Number four, when you see the New Testament utilizing the Old Testament, you are able to understand how prophecy works. So this means if you believe the New Testament writers were inspired and you see them quoting from the Hebrew texts, the Old Testament, shouldn't you see how they are quoting it? (laughs) And also look at how they are not quoting it. Maybe somebody said to you that's how they're quoting it, but read it. Like I've said with John a few times, he'll take a few and throw them all together. So you got to really lock in. It's so helpful to pause and go see what he's talking about. The author is assuming you have read what they are referencing. In some settings, they might be assuming that you have it memorized, man. Like some of these young Jewish men that had to memorize it. So when Paul or Peter or Jude or Stephen says something like, it is written, dot, 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 I would highly recommend you go back and read that portion of scripture. I'd almost say go read the five pages before that line and the five pages after if you really want to nail it. Number five, if you are letting your theological tradition filter the Bible to you, in other words, if you are looking at scripture, but you start first with your denomination, Catholic, Methodist, Baptist, Orthodox, I would recommend flipping that. So, I mean, this is pretty relevant today, huh? I mean, I find this is one of the hardest things for someone who was brought up in a certain denomination or part of a country. And for obvious reasons, it's because someone who you hold dear in your heart told you to look at it this way. It it might have been your cute little grandma who read the Bible every day and never said a curse word. We are all guilty of this, myself included. The thought here is not that 
It's not that they're wrong. They can obviously be consistent many times with the original writings. Just flip it. I don't even think we realize we're doing this. I mean, people have gone to war over this, man. As the spread of Christianity was happening and different Bibles were written with different books that got kept in or left out, whether, you know, Augustine or Jerome, they were fighting over what books they wanted in. Reformation, Martin Luther's writings, Calvin's writings. Heck, our current settings and the preachers we love. And you ask what their take is on a certain tough passage of scripture. We have right now churches being split up over interpretations of passages and the lenses to see them. So what I'm saying is all of these contexts would have been foreign to the biblical authors. They don't even know what you're talking about. And yet those contexts and even our current thoughts are constantly allowed to filter through the way we process the Bible. And that can be dangerous sometimes. Number six, the Bible did not drop down in golden tablets from heaven. So study it as though a person wrote it, not the result of a you know, paranormal activity. Now, don't, don't get this one twisted. I, like I said, it is a divine book. I don't mean that this isn't a divine book. It's just that the, the Bible, as you know, it didn't even come into completion until 300 AD. So when you read the book of Acts, which was the biggest surge of the Jesus followers and starting the wave of the, the movement called The Way, they didn't even have a Bible, so to speak. So when you read the Bible, don't think of it as something that was written when someone went into a trance and just came out on the other end with a completed work on their table and they have no idea what even got on the page. That's the point. It was written by brilliant authors, just like the temple was built by brilliant craftsmen chosen by God. God chose people to write the biblical text and people use grammar and style and tempo and skills that are unique to them. I mean, if you look at the four gospels and how intertwined and perfectly they are for their audience, Mark's talking to what? The Romans. So he leaves out the, the genealogy because his audience, his audience doesn't really care about the Jewish history. They don't, they don't know who these guys are. They don't know who Father Abraham is. They don't get it. John speaks of God and he wants his audience to know that this God guy that came down in flesh and hung out with us, he wants you to see that. He wants to nail that point home. Matthew, modest Yahoo, the tax collector, the outsider, he writes that way. He leans into the fact and shows how Jesus loved him anyway. His genealogy even says that. He includes certain characters in there that typically in a Jewish genealogy, they would have been left out. He puts them in there on purpose. The, the female characters, the prostitutes, it's like he's hitting you in the face with the fact that, hey, hey, don't forget. Don't forget this line that led to Jesus. It's a little, it's a little clunky. He does that on purpose, man. So just like me, that's what I mean. When I say that people wrote this book, it makes so much more relevant and readable when you see it that way. Number seven, if a passage is bizarre, it is important. There is a reason it is in there. Do not skip it. This is a good rule. I used to do the opposite of this all the time. I'm sure you did as well. I'm learning to do the opposite. Staying and sitting on something until I can get something out of it. You have to learn that this was not put in there simply to mess with you or to get you off the rails. It is there for a reason. Find the reason. It's not random. Look for clues. Look at the audience, the writing genre, the time period it was written. Hell, look at the whole biblical worldview that's at stake. because. 
me as a white guy in North America in the South in the year 2023, if I find something odd or offensive, that doesn't mean it has no meaning now. It, it wasn't put there just to fill space or to creep me out. It means I am ignorant of the lesson and it has a role to play. So find it. Number eight, when your biblical theology, work your biblical theology from the ground up, not the top down. I kind of already said this, but this piggybacks on our earlier rule. I know that. I wanted to add on here what I see a lot in Bible study groups. They pick a book or a series or a video to watch, and that sometimes makes up the vast majority of their study. Have you been a part of a group like this? I have. You just stay on that book and its notes from maybe a famous preacher, John Piper, Francis Chan, Tim Keller, but you rarely dig in the text that goes along with it, right? Again, I do not want to demonize these works. These guys are amazing. I just want you to use them as supplements to the actual Bible, the text. So if you're reading a Jesus Calling or a you know, daily verse that can be taken out of context as the study of your day, you're going to find that this might not be helpful when you get a real-life bump. These little daily pump-ups can sometimes have a completely incorrect view of what was being conveyed in the text. You know, like Jeremiah 29, 11. I bet you've seen that one hung up in a kitchen or on a washcloth. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, yeah, God wasn't talking to you on that one. He was talking to Jeremiah, the weeping. Pre- you know, that's wrong. Actually, I'm wrong. It was a letter Jeremiah wrote to the Jews in exile in Babylon from Nebuchadnezzar. So don't get me wrong. It is a letter of encouragement. But you can't just take that sentence and put it on the wall and say it's for you. I, I mean, you could do the same thing if you took a ruthless section of scripture and then threw that up there. Someone might get offended by that one or put it at the end of your email signature. I don't know why that one bothers me so much. Just a pet peeve. But again, The point is to make sure the actual text and its context is your bedrock. That's your home base and work from there. This simple exercise could solve so many debates you have with modern day believers. Number nine, this one's my favorite. If what you read in the biblical text disturbs, agitates, or alarms you, then let it. As I've said in the pod a number of times, if you don't have to set the Bible down from time to time, after reading a section or a story and collect yourself, then you are not reading it at all. There are tough sections in this book, and if you have gone through it a few times, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You see them coming. You know, the flood where God kills everyone, or the Passover story where all the firstborns are killed, the babies. I know when I get to Joshua every year, I have God wanting to, quote, devote to devastation or devote to destruction whole towns. Men, women, children, or in Judges when Jephthah makes the vow and his daughter is killed. I hate these stories. (laughs) These wrestling matches that I have in my head, these deep spiritual dives of asking why, God, why is this in here? What am I supposed to do with this? What do I learn from this? Why did the creator God allow this? When I sit and meditate on these stories and I get that light bulb or a way to see it, or I see the world or try to the way God sees it. Dude, these are some of the most profound moments in my spiritual walk. So powerful. So again, if you are reading a Jesus calling to get a spiritual buzz to start your day, I would challenge you to go deeper. 
because the deeper you go, the bigger the buzz. Finally, number 10. The best way to see God's thoughts are to follow the breadcrumbs in the text and where they lead. That just means build yourself a network of connections. As, as Heiser says, read the Bible like it's a fictional novel. This is not a textbook. Don't read it like a textbook. Is there anything more boring than hearing someone read a textbook out loud? Think along with the writer. What are they trying to do to me? Where are they taking me? Why is he drawing me to that verb or noun or place? Why does he keep mentioning that place? Why did he skip that whole part or deflect away from that narrative and go here? That's the good stuff. That's how you open your mind to scripture. Don't read it like it's homework and just try and get to the end of the page and cross it off your daily, daily reading plan. Yuck. You will never enjoy that part of your day. This is not brushing your teeth or making your bed moment. This is the creator of the universe telling you his rescue story of the human race that culminated in sending himself down as a Parker brother onto his own Monopoly board and becoming a player himself. And he conquers death, which was a huge problem for us in the least suspecting way of all by allowing death to defeat him. And the fallen spiritual beings, they didn't see that one coming, man. You see the words differently when you prepare your mind, body, and spirit in that posture. It will change you. That's it. That's all in this episode. I hope I found, I hope you found this helpful. I hope it ups your game as you attack the Bible this year. I hope you share this with your circles of influence. I am working on my next topic as this one's being released. So until then, I am Tyler Parker and Sunday School is out. Mm-hmm.